Welcome to the Wasting Time podcast. How's it going, Chris? Episode 45? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's going okay, mate. How's things with you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Got uh, Phil Thorpe Evans from Neck Deep on today? Yeah, or formerly of Neck Deep. Formerly of Neck Deep, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this was this was a good booking because um, it, it's quite interesting like hearing about all the stuff that happened with um, neck deep rising so high and uh, and then the, the the direction that his musical career has taken in the last yeah. couple of years uh, big big switch up yeah definitely um before before we get into him was there anything you wanted to wanted to cover in particular anything that's been on your radar um i guess the nfg album dropped what last week what last friday was it uh, yeah, so at the time of recording, just over a week ago. Uh, yeah, that was the big thing I wanted to talk about. I don't think I had too much yeah, outside you, of that. You've been quite into it, right? Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I would say, because it's quite long, it's 15 songs, a bit unnecessarily long. Um, but I'd say there's at least 10 or 11 songs that I genuinely really like, which is, you know, that's pretty good going. Um so for me, it's like their best album since I think Radio Surgery was the last one that I really liked yeah. before that. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I yeah, I've enjoyed it so far. Still, I'm, I'm still only I've only listened to it a couple of times and kind of flicked through it a little bit. So I need to give it uh, a bit more time. But um, yeah, I think there's a three or four real real standout tracks for me. Um, what which are? Oh, you're asking me the titles now. <laughs> I did send you them on WhatsApp. I feel like you liked. Did you like Double Chin for the Win? Everyone seems to like that one. Double Chin for the Win. I'm looking back here now. Um, like I Never Existed. Oh, that. Yeah, you're into that one. Yeah. Greatest of all time. Which I, I saw the. Um, yeah, I saw the. Did you see the acoustic version this stuck No, up no, yesterday? it's come up on my YouTube suggested. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, good? it's pretty good. Yeah, 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 it's cool. And stay, stay a while. It's a good track. Yeah, that's good. That's a nice little cheesy, upbeat pop punk yeah. one. I'm glad. Really, I re- I'm glad that I'm glad they've dropped the whole synthy thing as well. So yeah, yeah. A I bit mean, in there, but um, they went went in that direction for a while. It wasn't wasn't really for me. Yeah, agree. And I I don't mind them doing that on on different records, trying out different things. I mean. It keeps it fresh, I suppose, but it doesn't always work. Mm. And this is this is more like the tried and test. This is just what they they do best, really. Um, yeah. I think trophies are real standout for me. Like I would say that's in maybe my top five songs ever by them already. I just think oh, the chorus wow. is amazing. Yeah, such quite, a good hook on it. Quite the back catalogue to go through now. So, what, what, I mean, what record was that? What number? Number record? Uh, ten. It was a ten, oh. tenth. Tenth. Full length, because they they've been about twenty three years now. Yeah, man. Wow, makes you feel a bit old, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah, still really relevant with young crowds though, as well, right? You know, they've done done pretty well. To, yeah, you know, yeah, that's what that's. I mean, them and the few bands of of this ilk have seem to have managed to have done that, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite impressive, isn't it? Because like when we were listening to them in two thousand or whatever. You wouldn't, and if someone said, "Oh, in 2020, like young kids are still going to like them," you know, mm. you would have been surprised. You've been been listening to anything else? Mm. 
I've been listening to quite a lot of country music, but right. okay. not, not desperately re- relevant to the kind of stuff we cover here, so I'll not go too heavily into that. Um, on more the line of the kind of stuff we do at um, Neck Deep, we've got an album out soon, which is obviously quite relevant to this show. Um, they put out a new song from that called Fool, which, which is pretty cool. I like I that. I haven't heard that yet, so yeah, I have to get into it, especially with our guest today. Yeah. Um, and and then I, I don't never really been into Knuckle Puck but they put out a song with the guy from Mayday Parade on and I thought that was pretty good and I think I think for this genre of music that's pretty much it and then outside of that I've just been listening to a lot of Bruce and a lot of a lot of country really nice and some pot and some pot things like Halsey things like that seems like you? there's um, no, yeah not a great deal um I did watch the uh, that Frank Turner gig at the Clapham Grand. Oh yeah, day. yeah, on Thursday night. How yeah. how was it? I yeah, just I did good. I just dipped in very quickly. Yeah, it was great. You know, I guess he, he's doing a lot of a lot of this independent um, kind of fundraising gigs at the moment, isn't he? But the, he was actually did it. He did it from the venue. Um, yeah. With you know, have you heard of Beans on Toast? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the singer, yeah. Um, so he was on there, and there was there was another, a couple of other artists. I didn't. didn't there there well was a bit. Done. There was a bit with Billy Bragg. Did you see that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I caught the, I caught literally like the last 10, 10 20 seconds of that. So okay. Um, but yeah, he's um, yeah he's doing his bit, isn't he, for for all the, the independent venues? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, but he starting is. to see. I mean, on that note, I'm starting to see, you're starting to see um, a lot of bands, and I guess it's more so in America. From what I can tell, they're starting to kind of book in book in tours again now. Um, I can't, I can't remember exactly which ones have been popping up, but just seen quite it's, a few it, that are actually starting to talk, it seems start much, to get them booked. Yeah, but it seems it, well, certainly from what I've seen, mostly for twenty twenty one though. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything for this, for this year. Yeah, I suppose that's achievable at the moment. Well, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully, um, but yeah, a couple of those big tours that were booked for this summer, like you know the Green Day, Fallout Boy, Weezer one over here, and the newfound glory simple plan one mm. in the states they've i see they've both shifted to next year that'll be a good day when we can all get to a gig won't it if <laughs> if you if there's any band you could go see as your first first gig back which one would it, who would you who would you go for great question i think i'd just have to go predictable here and say good charlotte <laughs> uh, still <laughs> Um, whatever anyone uh, says about you know hate them or love them, I, th- I I do think they're one of the one of the better live live acts. What about what about a band you've never seen before? Like, um, do we, do we have to stay in stay in our genre? No, of course not. I would say that would be either if 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 I'm staying in this genre, I'd say Quiet Drive, and outside of that, I'd say maybe Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Quiet Drive, fair enough. <laughs> you know yeah. my love for Quiet Drive. Still, still want to get their singer on this show. Yeah. I'm not giving up on that one. Yeah. Um, what, what? Same questions to you. Um, I guess an MXPX show full lineup would be pretty fun, right? Oh well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and I guess who I haven't seen. I mean, I'm. I know you've seen them a couple of times, but I'd love to see the Bleachers. I know. No, the wife wife would be really keen to go and see them. Oh as well, yeah, so yeah. Here, here. I've heard you know nothing, but. But amazing, yeah, live live show. So probably probably something like that. Yeah. One day our day will come. 
Should we get into um, our guest then? I, th- I think we might as well. Yeah, yeah, because um, there's a lot, lot to cover in this interview. So uh, might as well crack on with it, I reckon. Yeah. So um, we ca- caught up with um, Phil Thorpe Evans of, um, well, formerly of Neckdeep, um, based out in LA at the moment. Uh, so here it is. Uh, thanks for joining us, Phil. How's it going, man? Pretty good, man. Um, it's a nice, warm morning here where I am. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Where are you? Where uh, is- I am in LA. Nice. What 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 part of LA are you based in? Uh, I actually live in Burbank now. Um, oh yeah. I was in Koreatown before, um, but not too long ago moved to Burbank. So I guess technically I'm not even in LA right now. I'm like Valley <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets pretty hot in the valley, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I mean, I feel like for English people, like it's hot either way. I think the <laughs> right. distinguishing difference is not that drastic. Like it's usually only like a few degrees more in the valley, I think. But I mean, yeah, it's. I feel like it's hot as shit either way. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's how, how's um, it compared to Koreatown? Because Koreatown's quite, um, quite a sort of hip part of town. Yeah, Koreatown's pretty hip and like near a lot of you know cool bars and like your stones throw from like melrose and all the cool shit but yeah i'm a bit of an old man and i don't go out a huge amount so <laughs> burbank's a lot more like suburban <laughs> um i'm like i mean it's still only like a 10 15 minute drive from most of those places but like yeah it's much more yeah. kind of families and chill where i am now than kind of cool young people <laughs> <laughs> so so how long has that been been home now for you um you mean burbank specifically or just like yeah LA? Just, i guess la yeah yeah living out um, there. i mean it's weird because people always ask me that and like i never quite know how to answer because <laughs> i've been you know even when i was touring with neck deep obviously we toured like so much out of the year and it was a lot of time i kind of considered myself living here but i was very aware of the fact that like I would only spend a few weeks at a time here and then go away for a couple of months. It's like, is that really living somewhere? I don't know. Um, but I guess, yeah. So I've been doing that like on and off for like four or five years or something, but I guess in a more like legitimate, like settled down sort of way, just the last few years. Okay. Okay. And do you like LA overall? I do. Yeah. I think it's great. I really like it here. Um, funny i feel like people either really love it or really hate it um from my experience when it comes to like english people i just happen to be one of the people who loves it i don't totally understand how anyone could hate it i mean like i i can't get some of it like i know that the biggest problem that the people i knew who hated it was because like it's considered like the business city and if you're in la it means you've got to fucking schmooze managers and agents and labels and like it's so fake and all this stuff but i'm like well sure that's that's not a not real thing but like it's also so beautiful in terms of just like landscape and the weather's great and there's like amazing restaurants and beaches and shopping and cool stuff like that like i don't know i really like it but i guess that's just me (laughs) no i agree with you i think it's got everything it's it's one of my favorite cities i just you can never get bored with it and like i said i don't I, i don't get it when people talk down on it um, which yeah, same. Especially that's the reason. It's like, well, yeah, you can say the same thing about London and New York, though. Like, there's always like hella loads of business to be done if you're in that city. Right. You don't have right. the beautiful weather and the beaches to balance it out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Each to their own. 
I like it, so it's good for me, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. And and, and what's what's uh, it been like the last few months in, in the weird world we're living in right now? How's that been for you? Jesus, man. The last few months has felt like a movie. It's insane. I mean, the quarantine thing, you know, obviously, all, well, not all my family, but most of my family is still back in England. And, you know, I speak yeah. to them regularly. But just seeing how the quarantine thing was different here than it was there is, like, so nuts. Like, we were already, like, deep in our, like, serious ass quarantine lockdown when everyone back in england was still like not even aware of the word coronavirus it was so nuts like I remember calling my mom being like yeah like we're officially on lockdown now like we can't even go out and she's like well why what do you mean like they <laughs> right. were so behind it was crazy and then obviously just as you know in the last few weeks when things have started to teeter towards normal again obviously all of the you know kind of political you know race riots and and stuff have have been going on like majorly over here i mean obviously they've been happening everywhere but i think la especially was like a real like kind of hub of of that and yeah i don't know man it's just it's just a very crazy time to be alive i suppose i mean a lot of good a lot of bad and just weird because like every day you wake up and it's like oh what's happening today you know is it impacting much in the way of your work, or I mean, are you? Can you pretty um, much? I mean, doing doing what you yeah, do. Yeah, definitely slowed a lot of stuff down. Um, more the coronavirus thing than anything else. Like when that set in, at the beginning, I didn't notice too much of it. Like because obviously, I, I guess technically speaking, I'm like freelance. I, I have a studio at my house, and I work out of that. Um, so like yeah. for me, it was pretty easy in the beginning to just like carry on what i was working on but i was actually in the middle like right as it all set in um a new thing i'm working on was kind of fielding this deal offer that we were going through and you know it's pretty substantial for us um and we were kind of going backwards and forwards on negotiations and stuff and then we just hit this word where they said like look everything is just crazy right now we literally just have to put this on pause for the next couple months um it's obviously still on pause so that was the first major stone where i was like oh man like this is crazy like literally just getting told like you know your everyday stuff it's just like oh we're just gonna put this on pause for a couple of months it's like oh okay cool i guess i'll just wait here (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean i definitely don't have it as bad as a lot of people you know i know a lot of people who have like real stuff i mean even my wife like she works in like art department for like tv shows and commercials and stuff like okay. that she hasn't worked for months because she's in a union and like no production is happening because they can't manage the health and safety of it all and risk spreading and so she you know she usually would work like sort of you know 14 15 16 days in a row and then do a couple of days off and then do another job and she'd get up at 5 a.m and get home at you know 10 p.m and that's just how it's always been and now she's like not worked for like two three months and it's crazy oh wow Um, okay so yeah definitely has slowed a lot of stuff down but i do maintain i don't have it as bad as some people (laughs) right yeah no fair enough actually on that subject did you looking at your um instagram was it just last year you got married uh yeah i got married last september right okay belated congratulations oh thanks man thank you How's how's married? No, actually, no, before I ask the standard how married life is and stuff, kind of. <laughs> I was thinking, um, 
this, Nick, this is a we- these are weird people to kind of look to as good interviewers or whatever. But, you know, on Sunday brunch, when you've got like Tim Lovejoy and Simon Rimmer, I know this sounds yeah. random, but whenever they have a guest who's just got married, they always ask two questions. And I always think, oh, those are, those are quite good questions. And yeah. like they had, they had Frank Turner on recently, who we had, and we were talking oh, about his wedding. Know. And we didn't ask these questions and they did. So I'm going to ask you these two. So at your yeah. wedding, I've got two questions for you. What was your first dance? And what food did you have at the wedding? Food. Um, the food, I'll answer first. We had, um, we had a bunch of stuff. We had, it was one of my wife's like kind of friends has this like catering business or whatever. And mm-hmm. you know, in, in full transparency, I kind of let her run the show there a little bit because she's super good at this kind of stuff. Um, we had this like chicken with like potatoes and salad and stuff. Um, we had this other thing, but I don't totally remember. <laughs> totally no. We had this like kind of stewed soup type thing. I think she's gonna kill me if she listens to this. She's gonna be so. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I hope you remember your first dance, mind. <laughs> first dance, I do remember. Um, we did it to a Sam Cooke song. Just oh like, nice yeah we, we very classic romantic stuff yeah uh, we, we, what i'm gonna nick do you want to should we have a guess at which one it was would yeah, be i'll go send me you send me i'm i'm gonna go with um i was gonna say cupid but i'm gonna say me neither what a wonderful world maybe sorry i'm uh, sneaking in loads no, of guesses here no, um <laughs> it's the um I know the lyrics. I don't even remember the exact name of the song. Now I think about it. Your your uh, wife really isn't going to be happy if she listens <laughs> to this podcast. Well, the funny thing is, is, that was actually my choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like, well, I'm not going to lie. It's not like I sit around my house listening to Sam Cooke on the regular. I just knew that song and really liked it. But like, it was a really good one. Um, yeah. Damn, what's the name of the song? Because if I remember rightly, oh, nothing can change this love. That's it. Because that's not okay. like the main. Well, I guess it is the main like tagline of the song. I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't realize that was the exact name of the song. I knew that was like the chorus. But yeah, Nothing Can Change This Love by Sam Cooke. Is, is, is your wife from, from out there or is she from, from back home? Um, she actually is born and raised in Hungary. Oh, um, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was born and raised in Hungary um, and then moved here with her family when she was like 10 or 11 or something. Um, right. Her, her and her family um, moved to LA and she's been here ever since so yeah she's been here a really long time but she actually didn't even speak english when she got here she like learned english when she got to america okay well i guess let's kind of go back to the start if that's all right with you and we'll do a little bit of a a whistle stop um tour of i guess your your i guess early journey into music if that's all right with you Um, yeah of course man i guess i mean were you born and bred and raised in in wrexham or no, actually, I'm one of the ones that isn't from Wrexham. Okay. Um, there was this very strong kind of, uh, I don't want to say like marketing ploy that we were a Wrexham band, but like there was there was always at least a couple members that were. I mean, def- definitely, like I understand why, because the, the main hub was from Wrexham. Ben was from Wrexham and Seb was from Wrexham and Wes was from Wrexham. And so, yeah, that is the main hub. But no, I was, I was born in Bury St. Edmunds. 
um but i moved to lincoln when i was like really young and i like grew up there like I, my first school was in lincoln and stuff i think i moved there when i was like two or something um yeah i was born and raised northerner i guess <laughs> right <laughs> so um i mean i guess how how did that um kind of work its way into kind of i, I guess neck deep and over that way how, um, did, how did you meet those guys oh I, like everyone in that scene, just grew up learning to play guitar and trying to start bands, and that was all we wanted to do. And, you know, would just start bands that were crap and never got anywhere, and then you'd start again and start another one. And through that ladder of getting a bit older and a bit more, like, wise to what was shit and why we were terrible, um, I eventually started this band called Climates, um, yeah, which is a melodic hardcore band, like kind of like counterparts and you know those kind of things. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was me and one of the other guys, and it was Sam Bowden, who's in Negative now, because um, mm-hmm. we went to like school together. And we were just like always trying to do bands. Um, and then how did this happen? So we had. I have to like think back now, make sure I get this story right. We were looking for a vocalist. And I think the bassist we had at the time found this guy, so he called Harley, found this guy online called Wes uh, from Wrexham because he had posted some music of him singing and it was great or something like that. My memory's a bit foggy these days. but So we kind of found this guy online that we thought was great and he lived in Wrexham and we were going to meet in Manchester and do a like a rehearsal or like a band jam or practice or whatever and see if it worked. So me and Sam went down to Manchester and met him um it was cool and at the time he was friends with a couple of dudes in this band called spires which was like a uk hardcore band who had i actually had seen them on tour in lincoln and i was like aware of their band but i was in like a small band so it wasn't like oh my god you know spires it was more just like oh cool i know that band that's cool yeah yeah Um, yeah. and i think they came to the rehearsal and it was west and our old tour manager george prol and we all just kind of made friends and then spires was touring and climates was touring and we were kind of homies and uh then spires one day booked this tour with a hardcore band called agitator from philadelphia they were coming over to the uk to do like their first ever like headline tour and spires was supporting and they needed a bass player or something and they said mm-hmm. hey Phil, do you want to play bass for this tour and i was like yeah sure let's do it and on that tour I got to hear a couple of demos that would end up being neck deep and they were like, yeah, we're doing this like pop punk thing and could be fun. And, you know, there wasn't a lineup or any real plans back then. It was just kind of like doing some other stuff. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Then like fast forward a bit later and that EP range July got finished and um, I think it started because there wasn't really any intention to play shows um originally but then me versus hero which i'm sure you guys probably remember um, of course yeah uh, they they well, had they they kind of came back a couple of years ago i seem to remember oh well. uh, really yeah they, i mean yeah, they were great they were like one of the only ones doing pop punk in the uk and right yeah, yeah. Really good. i was like a big fan of that band when i was like you know younger and shit like i really liked them um i saw them at slam dunk when i was like 14 or whatever and like lost my mind right. it was and they reached out being like, hey, we're doing this little headline tour of the UK. You guys should support. 
And that was kind of the beginning. It was like, oh, shit, well, we need to get a lineup together. And it was like, well, Phil just played bass Spires, which is basically Night Deep. Like, let's just have him do that. Yeah. Um, and then they found this kid on YouTube called Danny. Um, right. they were like, we've got this drummer sorted out. And um, I knew Seb Barlow then for producing Spires and some other stuff. But I didn't really know Ben, his younger brother. And they were like, yeah. oh, yeah, like Seb's brother is going to do the vocals and stuff. And it was like cool at this point the rain in july ep was already online and done so he, he was obviously already in and it was more like when they were putting a lineup together to play a live show they called me and yeah they were like hey you know do you want to play bass for this the first run of neck deep shows and i was like yeah sure let's do it like i had heard the rain in july ep and i thought it was really cool and they were already my friends and stuff and i was like all for it so you were all doing things that I guess a little bit of a, a long distance then to start with. It was yeah, I guess your so. Normal, I mean, your normal yeah. development of a, I guess, a totally, band. Yeah, I mean, we'd all been in enough bands that we knew that like you don't really, like it worked for some people, sure, but like, you don't really need to do the whole generic like once a week we get together and practice. Like, yeah. you know, it was that era where like producing your own music wasn't super hard anymore. Like you could get really good sounding yeah song without going to a studio so it's like most people were starting to now do it the way it's pretty much done all around which is you make songs you like produce songs and records and stuff that sound sick without even like getting together like you don't need to do that and you know they had kind of already done that part like seb obviously produced it and you know ben had written his lyrics and whatnot and, and the tracks were there and so they, the, the EP was already done. So it, it literally was a case of like, if you can play your instrument, you just need to learn the song and we should be able to get together in a room the night before and play it no problem. <laughs> yeah. That was right. kind of the theory. Okay. <laughs> and pretty aggressive, like short, short aggressive rehearsals before, before tours. Yeah, honestly, it was like anything to not have to rehearse, basically. It was just like, <laughs> right. do you know the song? <laughs> yes. Right. We'll just play it right. We'll wing it. Right. <laughs> Which is still the way I like to do it now, really. <laughs> My theory is like, is like if you can't play it, it, like if you need to rehearse to get it right, like you're not really good enough anyway. Like as right. dark and as harsh as that sounds, like obviously you got to be able to like get together and play it together to find that like energy and kind of figure some things out. But like the bare bones of it, like if you can't like figure out how to play the song on your own, like remember the the structure of the song, then it's like. So, so, so when in your mind do you kind of remember that really kind of? It's kind of starting to um, kind of step up to the next level and become yeah. know, real. Like honestly, it was genuinely like the first show. As weird as that sounds, oh, because wow. Wow. we had all been in bands for so long and trying to do stuff and not getting anywhere and like getting the odd thing. Like my other band that I was in, Climates, had just done this like big European tour with Counterparts, and like you know we were doing like fairly legit stuff. But you yeah. know, not making any money and just like just grinding it and just trying so hard to get stuff. And then with Neck Deep, um, you know, all credit goes to to those songs and the production and the great work that those guys did on it at the very beginning. Um, we when we bought the Me versus Hero shows, I think it was like five shows. It was like Leeds, London, uh, um, Manchester, and a couple other like A markets and. Yeah. Uh, we had a message on the band's Facebook page, like I think the week before the Me versus Hero date started. And I think the first night was Manchester and the second night was London. 
So that would be our first and second ever, ever show. And we had a message on Facebook from this guy called Leander. And he was like, hey, I'm an artist manager. Um, I work at this company called Mythophonic. They, you know, we handle like Enter Shikari and Architects and Your Demise. And um, I, it's funny. I was, I was, I was genuinely going to ask before before Nick asked that question. I was like, what, what point did Leander, that Leander bloke, come and uh, yes, take yes, an intro? So that was, it was because he was early. he was managing my friends at the time, and like he oh, was, really? I just what remember man? them say, uh, "Do you remember a band called Eager Teeth? They were from Brighton." Yes. Yes, I definitely do. I think we played a few shows with them. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Swear I... we, did. we played a, a few shows with them in the early days because it was like a roster thing. So yeah, he he messaged the Facebook page and was like, "You guys are going to be in London on this day. I'd love for you guys to come to my office and just like meet me and say what's up and we'll have a chat and then yeah. I'll come to the show with you." Um, and back in those days, I wasn't you know really involved in the band's business at all. I, I was still kind of like. At that point, it was very much like it was kind of their thing, and I was just there to play bass and do what they right, told okay. me, and I was like fine with that. Um, so yeah, we were like, okay, cool, let's do it. So we did the first night in Manchester, and there was you know a handful of kids on the front row singing along, which was like a new thing. Um, right? Yeah. You know, it was the first ever show, and then the next day we went to London, and we went and met Leander, and you know, long story short, we went to his office, and he just said. I do this, 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 and this, and I think your band is really cool, and I want to manage you. Um, you know, at that time, we looked at the bands he was working with, and you know, it might as well have been you two and Bon Jovi, you know, as far as we were concerned, because we were yeah, just little yeah. scratchy kids in the UK scene. So the idea of working with, like Architects or Enna Shikari was like huge, um, and I think like right there in the room, we just said yes, and he came to the show with us, and. Uh, watch the show mm -hmm. and that was it we had a manager on day two you know um and then it you know kind of slowly built from there he you know would get us things here and there and little press clippings would show up in like kerrang and stuff and you know tours started coming in granted they weren't really very good ones back then but for who we were and how new we were we were just like we what, needed what that were, degree, what were know? some of those tours that I remember on those one, early days. one of the ones that really sticks in my mind is one of the really early ones we did. We supported this band called, I don't even remember what they were called, but the Thieves was in the title. And someone asked me about this the other day, and I wanted to say Attention Thieves, but it's not that, because that's another band. No, no, it was Attention Thieves. My memory is so fucked that, like, in this moment <laughs> of like stupidity, I thought it was nothing but thieves just because I knew that name from somewhere. But it wasn't. It was a band called Attention Thieves. And if my memory serves me right, the singer of that band had been the front man of another band that had done pretty well going back a few years. And this was his, like, new band years down Love the it. line. Okay. okay. And, yeah, they were going to do this headline tour. And they were just, like, very, like... Lovely guys, but, you know, in all honesty, the music was definitely not my thing. It was like, I don't know how to describe it without sounding like I'm slagging it off, but it, it was kind of like, <laughs> it was like guy rock, you know? It was like that alt scene yeah, okay. rock, like, you know, pointy shoes, tight jeans, and, like, denim jackets. Ooh. It was kind of like Dad You Me at Six, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking them up as you, as you describe like them. Info, and like... but I don't mean it to. Like, it's just the only way I can describe it, because I love You Me at Six. This was like a little bit more mature, rocky guy <laughs> version of You Me at Six, I think. Like it was singing for the occasional kind of yelly part, big kind of riffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but it definitely wasn't like alt scene if you know what i mean yeah uh, but i yeah, think yeah. the momentum of his old band had kind of got them this recognition in like kerrang and things like that and anyway i guess none of that's even that relevant they were doing this headline tour we were going to support and we did that one and i remember you know the venues were terrible it was like you know cd and e markets most of the time we were playing cities that like you didn't even know the fucking name of let alone if anyone played there um, <laughs> right. and the shows were like 20 kids and you know 15 of them were there to see us most nights um but you know back in those days we were just fucking stoked to be on the road like it seemed like a big deal to us so yeah that was one of the ones we did um we did a bunch of shows with hacktivist um who they were doing okay um nothing major but you know yeah I remember they were the known name. the uk scene and they were doing some stuff yeah. so we played a few shows with them and then it just became this thing where like slowly over the course of like a year i guess like the shows just got a little bit better there was like oh we're gonna do the baby stage at slam dunk and then we're gonna do a couple days with man overboard or something or yeah and yeah. over a bit of time the names that we were going out with started to actually be names that you knew and yeah yeah just kind of slowly built i guess well you say slowly built but actually it wasn't really that long since yeah Opus i guess came along right yeah i mean i think it was in the first year i remember we found out about hopeless at slam dunk we had like I think we'd won the, like, you know, they do that thing at Slam Dunk every year where you can, like, vote for, like, a, you know, an up-and-coming band to play one yeah. of the stages or something. And I think there was, like, us and a few other bands in the running for this thing, and we won it, and we, you know, got to play the little stage at Slam Dunk before Man Overboard or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. That was, like, such a big deal. And I remember being there in, like, the dressing room, and Leander had said, like, because we had started talking about like a you know first full length, we might have even already started work on it at that point. It's really hard to say because it was so friggin' long ago. Um, but we had started working on what would be wishful thinking. None of us, as far as I'm aware, no, definitely not. None of us had ever been like signed to a label before. So back in those days, we didn't really even understand what that necessarily meant, other than like what any stupid kid in a band thinks being a label is um and i knew that the conversation had been we're gonna do this record on our own um and then yeah leander came to us at slam dunk and said like he'd been in touch with hopeless and that they were you know potentially interested and wanted to talk to the band and um yeah i mean that obviously at the time was like the biggest deal in the world like we all knew who hopeless was and their roster was like insane and <laughs> You know, they, their roster back then, like, these are the days where there was some sort of level of fucking scrutiny involved, I feel. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I, and I still absolutely adore Hopeless Records and all the people who work there. You know, Eric Tobin, who's the head A&R and has been for the last, you know, I think, like, 15 years. And he was, like, the officiant at my wedding. Like, he, he you know. Oh, wow. Okay. He's, yeah, he's, like, family to me. And um, But back then, I think there was only, like, 10 people on the label or something. And it was like all time low, and again, I don't think Newfound was on at that time. Shit, I don't yeah, even they, remember. Yeah, they might have still been an ep epitaph then, probably. Yeah, all I know is I would look at the hopeless roster and be like, "Oh my god, all of those bands are fucking ginormous. This is like an insane <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. situation." Uh, the Wonder Years—that's when Wonder Years was like really yeah. fucking popping. That was like the, the golden era of Wonder Years. Um, so naturally, we were fucking stoked. 
and um first uk band on it at that point i guess well we chat we chatted to alex from um, rome a couple of weeks ago and he he kind of credits you guys for the, for their signing that kind of followed <laughs> shortly after uh, yeah i mean yeah. i don't know if we can take credit like you know they're a good <laughs> band doing good stuff and hopeless paying attention to that and but i know what he means because like when we started doing the headline runs for wishful thinking and we were like really kind of starting to pop off in the uk you know it happens to every band like there's always that one band that kind of comes up with them and we took them on like a bunch of tours and yeah you know i guess even unbeknownst to us we're starting to build like a uk pop punk scene because uh, there wasn't really one at the time and yeah hopeless obviously came to the shows here and there and you know i guess paid attention to the support and liked them and obviously they went down their own path and ended up signing too which is really cool um so was it yeah. was it after signing with hopeless that you first went out went out across the pond or do you do you actually no, actually out there? We, we had already been out there and that's kind of why hopeless got involved i think right. um oh yeah yeah it's funny we went to florida kind of for a vacation as a band <laughs> with the kind of side intention of playing shows my memory of it is it when there was these kids online from, i mean there was kids online all over the world starting to message us you know not like thousands every day but like every now and again we get a message like hey we're from fucking boston massachusetts and we love neck deep when are you coming here and we'd be like what do you mean when we come in there we fucking play like four shows in england mate like be lucky if i ever see boston like i'm all for it but you know we're a little bit away from a u.s tour um none of us had ever even toured the u.s at that point didn't even think it was like possible um and then our then guitarist lloyd I, if my memory serves me right he used to go to florida with his family quite a lot that was kind of like their vacation thing. And we had this group of kids messaging us from Florida and this promoter being like, hey, like if you come over to Florida, like we'll, you know, put on this run of shows and it can definitely sell out. Like trust us, there's a huge scene for you guys here. Like, and you know, if you've ever been in a band, you know what it's like every now and again, you get these messages that are just like, how much stock can you really take on that? You know, right. um, yeah, yeah. Like, you're just saying things right now. Like, but it seemed a little bit more legit. And I think what happened was it wasn't this like, we'll pay to bring you over and then do all this shit. I think somewhere along the line, it just started a conversation. And I remember getting a phone call that was like, hey, if we all went to Florida, this weekend for a week like would you come like we'll right. just like hang out and have a vacation we'll go to disneyland and universal studios and you know we'll we'll play a couple shows while we're there and i was like well fuck yeah of course i'll come that sounds fucking sick like why wouldn't i come but like, it'll cost you this much and it wasn't much money and i didn't have much money but it was like one of those things i had a shitty job like i was working at tj maxx and i'd saved up a bit right. of money and i was like fuck it like what am i gonna do sit here and fucking play playstation all week like yeah let's fucking go um so yeah we like booked these flights to go to florida we got there and the this kind of group of friends picked us up at the airport and drove us to our hotel and they were just like you know a nice group of kids similar age to us and they were like yeah you know everyone loves you here and like we're gonna do, you know do these shows and i think we'd been offered like a week of shows like shows to fill the whole week we were there and we said nah fuck that we'll do two shows because we want to like hang out in florida and go to the parks and stuff yeah. so 
we had booked one house show, which at the time was like, what the fuck's a house show? I mean, I can obviously tell what it is from the name on the tin, but like, you know, what is this? American Pie? Like, I don't even know what that means, but now (laughs) or whatever. Like, whatever you want, I'm in. And then the second one was going to be at Spot, which stood for Skate Park of Tampa, which was one of the levels on the Tony Hawk's game, like the the Tampa Am Skate Park, um, which I was just stoked to see because I like skateboarding. And... Mm-hmm. they had a venue built into the thing and it could hold like 300 kids. And at the end of the week, we were going to play a show there. So we were like, fuck man, I don't care if nobody's there. Like we're in Florida. This is sick. I could not give a fuck what comes of this, you know? Um, so we went and I think one of the first nights we did that house show and it was crazy. There was like hundreds of kids at this like little suburban house in like Florida suburbs. And we played in this like, garage type room and it was absolutely packed and it was kids like crowd nice. surfing and everybody knew every word and it was like nothing we'd ever experienced before and we were like holy shit this is crazy and then we had a fucking sick week of going to disneyland and there was always someone who had like a friend who worked at the park and they'd get us in for free and we pretty much did all the parks for free and just fucking hung out like a bunch of fucking 18 year old idiots which is pretty much what we were and you know just party at night and do the parks in the day and then come the end of the week we did the the show at skate park of tampa and it was like the most legit show i'd ever played in my life it was like a real venue with like hundreds of kids there and we were headlining and we did the show and it was insane like everybody knew every oh, word wow. it was and they like all knew you stage diving and it was like is that the kind of show you like dream of playing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Even our best shows in the UK at that point weren't anything like that. Um, wow. And yeah, it was just like the most fun week ever. It was super, super great. And I think all of us kind of came away from it like, Jesus Christ, like if we could do that in Florida, maybe we could do that in other cities in the US. Like, we made this little kind of like tour video of it, like all bands did back in those days for YouTube, little like tour yeah. diary vlog type thing and um we put it on youtube and i think that really kind of started a bit of like i think a lot of people looked at it a bit differently then and was like oh shit like did you kind of see that what they did in the states like that's nuts um but it's also when a few people who used to be friends started kind of you know there was that kind of the very beginnings of that weird animosity in the scene where like it went from neck deep being part of the scene to like neck deep being the band that it was really cool to hate like that kind of started <laughs> then at least for the band right. not the, um yeah was a not couple, for the fans so much yeah yeah i won't i won't name names there was a couple bands we'd like played shows with and we're like kind of building this relationship it was like oh cool like it seems like we're all gonna be next you know we're all gonna be in this scene that's gonna be the next sort of thing in the uk and there was a yeah. couple of them in particular like i say i won't name names but they had a lot to say online and started slagging us off and it was like what the fuck? Like we were all friends. What the fuck happened? Like, will you hate us now? Cause some shit, whatever, like fucking sit on it, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, we came back, did the, had the little video online. And I think when hopeless called, um, one of the first things they said was, you know, we'd seen the video of you guys in Florida and we, we kind of want to know, like, how did that come around? Like, tell us the story. And I think they kind of expected us to drop this, like, 
Gary V business plan vibe in front of them. Like, so we did this and then we did this and that's why we went to Florida. And it was a bit more yeah. like, well, yeah, we just thought it would be a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and they obviously were like, oh, cool, and carried on talking and then obviously ended up signing with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So cool, man. And then then obviously things just exploded even more once you were with Hope, with, with Hopeless, like those. Yeah, so we signed to Hopeless and we got told the announcement is going to be in Kerrang. You're going to have a whole page and it's going to be the, the band you need to know feature, which was kind of the like who's next feature and i remember at the time i was like a big kerrang reader you know i was like yeah really young i was a fucking kid and i always used to go to that page in particular and look who it was and i always used to think like fuck like that band's like about to blow up that's crazy like fuck i really want to have a band on there one day and they you know figured that that, that was going to be how they were going to do the announcement it was going to be like neck deep signs to hopeless let's go kind of thing and <laughs> i remember at the time i was delivering pizzas as a job uh to make money right. at this yeah. shitty little takeaway not even fucking like dominoes or anything badass it was fucking some like little standalone like proper like kebab shop type place and i remember yeah. the kerrang came out one day while i was working and i like had a pizza in my car and i like pulled into the tesco and went and bought the magazine and like sat in my car reading how neck deep had signed to hopeless like whilst delivering a pizza <laughs> right <laughs> that was that was kind of funny so so uh, how how long was it then before obviously things exploded from there how long was it before you know it became, it became a... like, yeah like when when you in it you don't really notice the the markers i guess like it, you don't get I to see you're it. just on the road aren't you you you're touring yeah, and it's just, just like on the road the whole time so for us it, it never really felt like i mean as far as i'm concerned it didn't feel like one day we were doing this and the next day we were doing that it felt like a sure we all felt like it was going fast but it was still like a, a slow incline it was like over the course of a year or two mm. but it was like i said before it was just like we do a you know we do a little tour and then we'd hear about the next one and the next one would usually have a, a, a main person that's like a little bit better than the last one. And then it was a little bit better. And then it was like, Oh, like we're going to go out with the wonder years. And it was like, Oh shit. Okay. This is pretty real now. And you know, then it was like, Oh, we're going to do slam dunk for real this time. And then we're going to do, you know, warp tour UK. And it was all very, just kind of like we did one. And then the next one came in and it was a little bit bigger and better than the last one on repeat um that's how it felt anyway in my memory um yeah and we just kind of kept building and building and then the subject came up of doing a u.s tour we were going to do a headline which looking back is fucking mental like we never even i mean other than the florida thing which doesn't even count that wasn't a tour like we'd never been to the u.s so yeah I, you know, obviously there's people whose job it is to know whether you can do this kind of thing or not. And everyone was telling us we could. So they booked a full U.S. headline tour for Neck Deep. You know, we did like 30 something dates. Like we were going to do the whole country, basically. I mean, a very normal routing. Obviously, you could do 100 dates in the U.S. if you really wanted to. Um, and yeah, we fucking we went over and did it. And every night was like a great success. I mean, Obviously, back then, it felt a lot bigger. Like, Who did they send out opening for you on that one? We had a band called 
Light Years and Knuckle Park. And at that time, Knuckle Park was like not really a thing. Um, I think it was like it was just starting to be a thing. Like they put out that No Good track. And right. that obviously just kind of blew up for them. Uh, but no, I'm I'm pretty confident it was Light Years and Knuckle Park, and that's where we met Pat, the singer of Light Years. Well, obviously we met all of Light Years, and we just loved them. Same with Knuckle Park, we had like a great thing with them, super good guys. And Pat, the singer of Light Years, would go on to be like our tour driver. Um, he drove us on loads of tours, and just one of our like best friends, just such a good guy. Um, and yeah, we did this US tour and. You know, the rooms were really small, you know, like I think the biggest shows were like a few hundred kids at most. And but, you know, for a UK band who's never been to the US not to do a support and headline and play random ass cities like fucking wherever, like Iowa or some shit and, and still yeah. pull like a hundred kids and everyone having a great time selling a bunch of merch. Like it was fucking great. And yeah. Yeah, we did that, and I think that was the real kind of start. I think once we did that and proved that we could do it, it was like all systems go, you know. So, so, so what were your? I mean, over the I guess what until you parted ways was six six years, seven years. I guess what were your what were your kind of best best moments um, during that time? It's hard to say. Cause it's one of those things where like there's a best moment until there's the next one, and then you look back on the last one and you think. <laughs> It, I guess put it this way: if you could go back to like two or three nights um, in neck deep history, what I mean, what what would they um, be? Right okay, now? so hmm, big ones. Probably the first time we did Warp Tour would be one of them. You know, sort of yeah. any any few nights on that whole tour, just because. You know, I was obviously super aware of Warped Tour. Like, I was a kid from the scene. I, you know, I never dreamed I'd get to I always used to watch the videos on YouTube and just think it was, like, the coolest thing in the fucking world. And, I, you know, it was like, if we ever got to do Warped Tour, that would be, like, insane. I didn't even care if anybody watched us. I was just stoked to be there and, like, see all these bands that I was, like, obsessed with and fucking... Who, who was on it that year? Uh, four Years Strong, Listen, Jake Mayday Parade, Devil Wears Prada, Ghost and Sizer, so far... Yellow card. Um, every time I die. I mean, it's always going to be pretty <laughs> yeah, strong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because at the time, like I said, that was like those were the biggest bands in the world to me. Like I didn't really listen to any Chill other up. kind yeah. of music. All I cared about was like the that scene, if that makes sense. Like I didn't listen to shit outside of that. So they were like the fucking stars to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, we did it and it was just so fucking sick. It was just the most fun. And we had a really great crowd every day and kind of heads were turning and you could kind of feel the momentum build. Um, so that'd definitely be one. Did you do the full run or did you just do a handful? Yeah, or? we did. Wow. We did the full fucking thing. Um, yeah, we did the whole rig. It's pretty um, relent- uh, we, I mean, we've spoken to a few few people that have, I guess, done it on, on, yeah, on the podcast. Quite a few yeah, quite yeah. So yeah. there's like mixed feelings about it. Some and some just now. just we'll really struggle with, yeah, with how relentless it is. And you know, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, like I, I'm not a great one for like filler. I, I've always kind of taken this stance. So, like, if you complain about Warped Tour, you're kind of a pussy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. that's just my opinion, and I think it's maybe just because of like my background and where I grew up and stuff like. To me, I'm like, that was the best fucking holiday I ever had in my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
yeah. played a show for 30 minutes a day and then was in the sun drinking beer and fucking hanging out with cool bands and like skateboarding and just like hanging out with my mates like fuck off like if you're in the crew i understand it is fucking relentless and like you're getting up at right. the crack of dawn and you're fucking losing it sunburn and fucking yeah like, it is fucking grueling, but if you're in a band and you're complaining about it, you're yeah. fucking there's, there, Yeah, there's a, a ton of kids out there who would love to be in, in that position, right? You know? Exactly, and that was kind of my thing. Like, I, But that's why I have to put my hands up and say, yeah, it wasn't hard for me because I wasn't lugging gear around or setting up merch tents and stuff. Like, We were so, so lucky and blessed that like, even on our first time doing it, like, we knew we were making enough money that we could have like a full-time merch guy and a full-time tour manager and all this stuff that made it easier. So like, Got it. Yeah. I get that there's bands that do it where they don't have that and they have to set up their own shit. And like that, I admit would be very, very hard. And I do understand that it is super long. So I get that it is grueling in a way, but like, I don't know, I'd be a total bitch if I complained about it. I think like all I had to do was like play a show, do some press and just like enjoy it, which yeah. made me the luckiest guy in the world i guess <laughs> you know it's when you see like bands in the main stage being like yo warp tour is so hard i'm like fuck <laughs> off <laughs> um but that's just me i guess but yeah so that would be one of them uh the other would probably be when we supported blink on a2 at brixton academy uh, oh yeah 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 i remember that yeah yeah that actually, what, what was that like Dude, it was crazy. We found out about it on that first walk tour. I remember we were near the end of the tour and we had a call one day from our manager and he said like, hey, so Blink-182 are going to do Brixton um, and you're going to support. And we were like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to ask me twice. You know, growing up, pretty much all of us were like just obsessed with Blink One Eight Two, like everybody else in the scene. Yeah, yeah well, I was um, going to say, so like, weren't, weren't we all? You know, or, it's, or a pretty, they, it's a pretty yeah. big, bu- big bucket list uh, tick in the box. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. yeah. And it wasn't lost on us. Like to us, it was as big as it would have been to everyone else looking at. Like, right, right. Blink One Eight Two was like, my favorite band growing up. Like, it was. It really was this huge deal. And second to that, Brixton Academy is just like a legendary venue and i used to go to shows there and you know it'd been a dream of mine to play that venue so yeah i mean obviously we said yes um wasn't really much question involved there and we did it and i think that was one of the nights that was you know just super memorable because it was like the first time we played a room that big and with our favorite band and you know we got to like kind of hang out with them for a bit backstage and kind of start a relationship there and yeah it was just one of the the highlights for sure so yeah i think that was probably the other one so like the anything else that jumps out or those like the main two uh, i, I mean, guess the, the only other like i mean obviously you know the, there's a million great things that i could talk about but the other one probably be then when we came back and headlined brixton um right that was a really like special night and it really felt like like i don't want to say the top you know but that was quite a bit later in the band's career and I feel like I'd grown up a lot since then and started to understand a lot more about how like the business worked and how trends came and went and that kind of thing. And even if I didn't vocalize it, I think internally I kind of felt like that's we're getting near to the top now. Like, yes, this could go bigger and you know, there's, there's step up venues from here, but like, there's not much after that, like after Brixton, sure. You've got Wembley arena or Ali Pally. Yeah, those aren't impossible, sure. But after that, I'm like, fuck. 
once you yeah. reach that, you kind of just either keep doing that or go down. Right. So, uh, right. so, so was that when I guess you started to feel that you know you were you needed to to move on to other things? I mean, is that um, that, that kind of trigger in, trigger for that or? I guess, I mean, it, it, it's tough to say because it's, it was a long road and, you know, I think a lot of times when things like this happen, you don't even know it to yourself until you know it, if that made any sense, which I'm sure it didn't. Um, <laughs> like, what, I think once you realize something like that, you realize you felt it for a long time but didn't know you were feeling it almost. Okay. Uh, so so what, did you know that something wasn't quite right for you for a while? or like? Yeah. Um, you know, without going into too much detail... Uh, you know, into like the business itself had become quite, there was stuff to figure out and the interpersonal relationships had kind of reached this new level that, you know, bands are hard. It was nothing crazy, but, you know, we weren't in the best place. And I don't know. I mean, did, I, I mean, did you, did you have like your next kind of, your next move and your next it's set in your mind in terms of what you want to do next though obviously not so, really know, like you know. i had a vague idea um i had like started over the last sort of six months from that time really getting into electronic music and like pop music and i had started trying to learn how to produce because at that point i had never produced like i had been a writer but i didn't know how to like make the music like in a technical term um yeah and i had started trying to teach myself that i remember like one of the last tours i did for the band was when i was like really kind of in this zone of trying to figure it out and every day you know our tour manager would find an empty room in the venue and i would like set up my computer in there with headphones and i would just sit alone most of the day and just like try and make music and you know try and figure out how to like make stuff sound good and but I wasn't trying to figure out how to record pop punk. I knew I could do that. Like I had already started that feeling of like that realization that you listen to all these bands in the scene. And it's like, you start feeling like you're all you're your own parent where you play it. And they're like, I can't differentiate this from the other bands you played. And you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, they're so different. And I was kind of reaching that point where like, I would listen to it and go like, this is the same thing just over and over again the same sound it's the same tone it's the same like sonics it's the same melodies it's the same lyrics it's just the same thing over and over again um and granted you could probably say that about any genre but i think it's it's if you're interested in that genre you don't see it that way and the fact that i was starting to see it that way probably said something bigger um and yeah i'd gotten super into like electronic music and like pop well it started yeah, like pop and electronic any um, particular artists that that drew you yeah into that a world? really big one was this um i don't want to say band because i guess they're not really referred to as a band but this artist called gray um they were a producer artist duo two brothers um making truly at the time i when i found their ep they had this ep out called chameleon um right. and i listened to it and i was like I had never heard music like it. Like in my head, if you just said six months before that, if you just said like, what's electronic music, I'd have said like bass hunter and like cascada and shit like that. Like I did not know that there was like a whole spectrum of it. And you know, it wasn't like dance electronic music. It was like 
band electronic music almost like they always had guitars in yeah. it but it was like just the way it sounded like sonically like legitimately blew my mind this sounds like this all sounds so cliche i'm very aware of it but like they had a song on that ep called crime um which was my favorite song on the ep and it was like had acoustic guitars and this girl singing and like the chorus or the drop or whatever you want to call it it just sounded so like rich and organic like it didn't sound electronic even though it was electronic music it didn't sound like bleep 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 you know it sounded like there was guitars and real drums and things like that and I just was honestly like blown away by it. I couldn't even fathom it. And from that, I found other artists and kind of went down this rabbit hole. And within the space of like a month, my whole like iTunes library or whatever I was using at the time had been deleted. And I just had this laundry list of like electronic artists. And it felt like every day I'd find a new one and I'd listen to it. And it was like, Again, I sound so cliche when I say shit like this, but it genuinely was like hearing music for the first time. Like I couldn't understand it. And I like just was on this spiral of finding this new music of where like pop met electronic and seeing the trend of it and kind of starting to find these artists, you know, like I found San Holo at one point and Griffin and I was like, oh damn, like they all dress like the old scene. Like this is actually like cool. This isn't some guy wearing a neon green t-shirt like a rave with glow sticks like this is like a cool thing like i fucking love this and yeah i just started literally day and night only listening to that shit and then i you know that obviously in the alt scene it was like you made a band and that and you were a, a collection of guys and that was your thing whereas this was like it was individual people and i was like damn yeah. these dudes are like they do it all themselves. That's like insane. And like every song featured a different singer and they'd collab with cool people. And it was like, fuck, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I love this. And so I pretty much after a few weeks of just like geeking out on it all, the the fire hit my stomach and I realized like, I have to learn how to do this. Like, that's what I want to learn how to do. And that is what I'm passionate about right now. And I didn't really tell anyone in the band this, like they weren't super aware. Like I had my, you know, and then we did that tour and I had my little room where I'd like make tracks and every now and again, someone will pop in and be like, what are you making? And I'd be like, well, right now I'm not really making anything. I'm just trying to like learn this, you know, I'd never had Ableton or whatever. Like I didn't know how to make stuff. So I was just literally fucking around staring at the screen until I knew what to do with it. And very slowly just started making songs that I guess gradually got better. And that was kind of how that started. And by that point, that was all I really cared about. When you decided in your head, like, oh, this is something I think I, I might have mastered and I want to pursue this again. Like how, how, how long is that gap before you telling your bandmates and actually departing the band? Like how, how, um, how I mean, it was, was all kind of happening at the same time, but you know, like, as I mentioned, like, on the last tour that I did, I had been, you know, spending all my time kind of alone yeah. making music on my computer. So it already yeah. began. Um, but yeah, I mean, transitioning to that, I, I, it's not like I was like, fuck this, I'm going to go and do this and, and start a project and take over the world with that. I didn't really have that goal in mind. I just wanted to be able to do it. And I thought, you know, if I can do that, then I can make... I can produce music for other people. And I think that was more my aim, just like doing something 
like fresh and interesting. And, you know, to, to, to be completely honest, I really didn't have like a plan in place. Like a, I'm going to do this. It was just like, I don't know. We're going to roll the dice. Like I'm going to do something. I don't know what it is yet. Like, but yeah. something will happen. So, so, so when you, when you kind of sat down and, and kind of decided to move on, did, I mean, did you come back to the UK or did you kind of set up shop over there? Was that... um, I didn't, oh, I did it. I did a bit, but I, I was, in the states at the time and just sort of stayed here and i was obviously i was with my now wife then yeah. um she wasn't my wife then but she is now and we were together and we were living together and i just sort of i just sort of started i just sort of was like i don't know i was like i felt like i was in a good place and i was learning and i had a lot of friends and i was just like i don't know what's gonna come up but like something will and that will be what i do next you know i was just gonna say like you're saying you know you've got lots of friends in the industry and stuff but i guess assumably they were like in a certain genre and you're kind of starting to explore and branch out into a new new world surely you have to build you were having to build kind of new relationships and then yeah yeah, a, a good amount of the people I knew were from the alt scene. Um, but I did have friends in other pockets too. Like I'd started doing some like writing sessions and stuff out here. And, you know, I had friends in a more pop lane. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't really worry about it that much. It was just kind of like, I don't know. The... Uh, in a weird way, I just have this thing that like things kind of work out the way they're supposed to, I think. And I kind of felt like I'm just going to do whatever feels good and something might come up. And, and along that journey, I mean, I guess it's been like not quite two years yet. Um, I've done a few things along there that like were short term things that were like fun for a while and um, more long term things. And um, yeah, I, I now have like actually have a whole the last sort of six months has been this whole new project that i haven't really like announced or put online or anything yet because we've been kind of working out the business side of it a bit more um yeah it really is just this weird thing of just like just taking every day and just kind of doing what feels good and obviously i was still making problem child songs um and mm -hmm. kind of figuring that out I, I was really slow to the draw with it and i didn't release a song for a really long time because I didn't want to just be like, oh, I'm out the band. Here's my new project and just put up a load of shit. <laughs> like I was yeah, way yeah. more concerned about it being stuff that I was like proud of. And because of that, like I, I mean, still to this day, I've literally only put out like three problem child songs. I mean, I have like a bunch yeah. more ready and I'm actually kind of, you know, figuring out some business for that right now. But like, yeah, I don't know. It was more about just like doing what felt good and, like, I feel like we've been going so hard for so long and so fast that, I don't know, just all my perspective changed a little bit and I didn't necessarily need that, like, right, what am I doing now? Like, what's the plan? Is this project going to, where are we going to sign it? Am I going to get an agent? It was just like, we'll just figure it out. And I would just what? do jobs here and there and work on projects and get paid. And I was, was it nice? Was it nice to be off the road? Dude, it was presumably you would yeah it still is like <laughs> it's been <laughs> right. like been like two years and i still haven't hit that bit where i'm like fuck like i'm really miss being on the road you know like i'm i'm obviously super open to doing it i'm not one of those people who's like fuck touring i don't want to tour like 
I'm all for it, but I yeah. feel like we did it so much that I don't have that like, oh man, I really want to be on the road. Like, right, right. I don't know. And I guess just like what I was interested in now, which was like producing music, is more of a stay-at-home thing, you know, or like a studio thing, and that just made me a bit more happy, I think. Oh, oh! By the way, didn't you, I think you said to me, um, "Have you got a release coming?" Well, at the, at the time of recording, have you got a release coming next week? Is that Problem Child? Yeah, I do have a right. Problem Child song coming out uh, next week. Week today, actually. Um, right. Yeah. So it's it's probably uh, out by the time we put this out. It for the listener, it's out now. Obviously, we'll yes. be linking yeah, that in the uh, show notes and stuff. Song called "Little Bit," uh, featuring this girl called Run who is just this okay. super sick, super talented singer. Um, she kind of came up as like a top liner in the EDM world. And she sang on tracks with like people like Elenium and, you know, really big people. Uh, and she, she has her own like artist project now. And she sang on a song that I had done. And um, yeah, comes out next week. It's a fun one. So what, I mean, what, what are your kind of ambitions for future uh, for Problem Child now then? I mean, is it just to kind um, of suck it and see, or have you, you know, you've got a real, feel you've got a real kind of clear direction and strategy with it? Or? It's kind of, it's, it's kind of both. Like in one breath, it is still just this thing I kind of do for fun. I just enjoy making the tracks and like, you know, I independently release them right now. But then at the same breath, there is some business happening with it. And obviously I, I can't really name names right now, but I have got some like, label interest and i have an ep like pretty much done that i think is going to go out a certain way um and that will result in it being a much more legitimate project and i will you know start playing shows with it in that scene obviously and you know i'm really excited for the prospect of doing that and yeah what's been your experience so far with what you've done with problem child from the alternative from the world you've come from like uh, whether it be uh, contemporaries or fans yeah i mean there hasn't been much and you know it's been like however long it's been and to tell you the truth i think i've only posted on social media about problem child like twice like as far as 99 percent of people are concerned i don't even have a project right and it's because I wanted to try and build it in the scene it's supposed to be in. Yeah. And when that starts happening, yeah. then bring in the other people. Um, Got it. So, yeah, I mean, I've literally only posted about it a couple of times. And I've had really positive responses, but I've just been trying to, like, quiet. I, it was this feeling of, like, if this is good and it's worth doing something, it should be worth doing on its own. People don't need to know that I was in a pop punk band because at the end of the day, that doesn't actually mean a lot. You know what I mean? Like if electronic label is interested in my project, what does yeah. like the fact that I really mean, except you can probably maybe expect a few extra fans at a show. Like you say, it's just not, not your target audience of your new music, yeah, right? Target <laughs> What's the point in trying to milk them for support when they're not really the people who it's for or would particularly be interested in it and as i said if someone from that scene finds it and likes it that's amazing and i love that and yeah. i hope that i can like inspire people from the alt scene to to get interested in another type of music that would be awesome same way i got inspired by it but i, th- I think yeah i think we're definitely yeah. kind of we we live in a world now where that is a bit more it's more of a reality now in terms of the accessibility of of different music and uh, you know me and chris 
we're a bit we're a bit older in our kind of mid late thirties, and you know you would have to you would be kind of put in put in your box and in your scene purely because it was that was you know you have to buy CDs and that's all you spend your money on. Yeah. But now like you know it's so easy to you know to cross over in genres and to explore music and you know dip Absolutely. it dip it in everywhere. I think you know there there's there's a lot more open mindedness maybe not so much in the like you know yeah. pop punk and old scene, but I definitely see that. Yeah, like I said, I feel like I'd seen a bunch of dudes in bands like do similar things, and you just know it's like the only coverage that their new project would get would be in like alt press or like that kind of thing. Or they'd like go on tour supporting a band from the scene and it'd just be like, what's the point in doing a fucking side project or another project that's not meant to be alt scene if you're only going to market it to the alt scene? Like that just seems weird to me. So yeah, I just kind of kept really quiet about it and that. And I also wanted to like try and, master my craft before really putting stuff out because i see that a lot too where like dudes want to capitalize in being a band so they do a side project and it's usually like pretty half-assed and like writing and production wise it's like not super inspired in my opinion and it's like yeah you're just kind of like capitalizing off the band you were in and i understand that and each to their own and you know obviously i don't think for a second i've mastered my craft i don't think you ever can but like i just wanted to get it to a point where i felt like they kind of stood for themselves and yeah, I just started doing that. And then, um, along the way kind of was lucky enough to get a couple opportunities. And well, I got to do this remix for San Holo, um, which was right. like a huge deal. He was like, literally, you know, he was the blink one eight two of, of the electronic journey I was on. If that makes sense. Like he was one of the OG sure. top dogs. Like that's the fucking goal get a chance to do one i got told that san was doing like a remix pack for his first album um which had come out earlier that year or something and i was like super into the album i thought it was great and they let me pick which song i wanted to do and i knew at the time they were putting out to like other big names and like there was going to be like a lot of people submitting these remixes because that's kind of how this works like artist releases the song and then they put out to like 10, 15 of the really big EDM guys and then they all make a remix and they pick like two or three of their favorite ones. Um, and right. yeah, long story short, I got to pick a song, I did it and they loved it and ended up, you know, putting it on the record. So I was like stoked about that. Um, and that kind of started a little wave of discussion with that side and it also kind of opened up a few fans and songs started picking up a little bit and just like slow stuff, you know, like it's still super, super, super early for that. But like little things of like kind of coming into the scene the right way, in my opinion, like through okay. the door that like people associate that world with. Like I could have quite easily, you know, I don't want to pull a name because obviously I can't, but like I could have quite easily gone to one of the bigger like alternative bands that I was friends with and be like, let me do a remix for you. And it would have gone online and probably made like a bunch of streams and been like a thing like. Yeah. Oh, well, you're not like, tempted to do that though honestly no like i mean I, i'm not against it and i've yeah, today, yeah. i've done a couple for a, uh, a couple of people and it's super fun it's not really what i was interested in so i've even had like some offers to do those things and you know pretty much all of them i've said no to because it's just not it's not really what i want to do um so yeah and then you know uh, another thing i got to do that just kind of kept the wheels turning um this one's actually kind of funny. I got to do this like electronic song for the League of Legends video game. 
I know. Um, I, I I was listening to that recently. That's. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's my age because I'm like I'm like 37. Um, but like I didn't I didn't know what League of Legends was. But like I just saw I it was under it, your. I didn't either. That's what's funny right. about it. Like I did not. Right. Um, yeah, it was. I I had heard the name. But I did not know right. that it was like the Goliath that it is and this huge thing. And this manager I, I'm working with was like, hey, like, do you know what League of Legends is? I was like, yeah, the video game. He's like, yeah. He was like, so they do a lot with music and and they they do this thing every year called the All-Star Anthem and they get like a person to feature on it. It's a, you know, big deal or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. So what do you like? What do you need from me? And they were like. At the time, my understanding was they wanted like some ghost production work, like, which for anyone who doesn't know is where you get paid to produce something for somebody else. They put their name on it and you, you know, are silent. You're paid to not, you know, take credit for it and happens every day. And I was like, yeah, cool. No worries. Yeah, like, sure. but, you know, give me the details. Let's do it. And, you know, he had mentioned the, the budget and it was a legitimate job, shall we say. And I was like fuck yeah i'm down and then they sent me like the beginnings of this song like the guitars and the drums and the kind of the vocal of this kind of pop punky thing and they were like yeah we really want yeah, like, yeah. do like the marshmallow a day to remember thing where it's like pop punk meets electronic pop and i was like yeah, yeah cool it's definitely it's definitely got that feel yeah yeah 100 percent. and but yeah i i ended up starting this project with a friend of mine like accidentally again it's that thing where like after the band, I didn't have a hundred percent a plan. I just felt like I was learning a craft and I had a bunch of friends and like something will come up. I don't want to force it. Like something will present itself and it will feel right. And that'll be the next thing. And this was kind of that, I think like I God, how far back do I go in the story? So I got asked my friend Emmett, who at the time was managing right. young, um, as in the was the managing pop. young blood did you say yes or young you know the, okay the sheffield yeah. pop rocker kid young blood yeah of Don. course of course Don, yeah he was managing him and he called me one day and he said hey he was working at his management company and he was like hey we've got this new artist that we're managing and he's like doing really well in sync um which I guess for anyone who doesn't know is like when they put your song in like Netflix shows and movie theaters and TV shows and video games, like putting your music on TV basically and movies and shit. Um, there's quite a like stylistic sound to music that syncs really well and lyrically yeah, yeah. and stuff. And anyway, he said, listen, we've got this kid, um, this new artist, he's, pretty new he's going out with young blood soon on the road i think it was and he's about to you know we're fielding a couple like big deals and we've already got a sync team in place um this great company and he's coming to la to do a bunch of sync showcases um which is where basically you go to all the major like tv studios and movie studios and you go to the head music guy's office and a few people from the team come in and sit yeah. around chairs and you play a few songs acoustically answer a few questions it's like a meet and greet you know and it's that very kind right. of business sense of like the kid you know if you go and do a meet and greet for them they're much more likely to give you good syncs because they know your face and they've met you and there's like a story and so he was on his like 
sync showcase run as it were and they were like he needs someone to play guitar for him for these showcases i think it was like five or six showcases over like two days um uh, they were doing like warner brothers paramount disney abc nbc like all the major studios um gonna go to like the head of music's office and play like four songs acoustically and let him talk and you're just gonna play guitar for him and i was like yeah cool man and he was like you know we'll obviously pay you x y and z and um the artist was called barlow lane ironically um right yeah 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 little throwback yeah yeah it was like a parkway drive thing he grew up on a street called barlow lane so he named his project barlow lane um the the classic parkway move and um yeah so we did these uh sync showcases i think the first one was at like paramount studios and we went to this you know big fancy music executives office and there's all the gold records and all that shit and we sit down and play and he talks and i sit there quietly and play guitar when he nods at me and uh it was great and i met his sync team and you know they were telling me about some of the placements they were getting for his music at which point i'd obviously learned like four of his songs and i was thinking to myself like this music is great don't get me wrong like he's doing a really cool thing but like stylistically and production wise and all stuff like i could definitely make this stuff and like he's killing it on sync like it seems like he's doing really well that's great for him like and it kind of put this idea in the back of my head of like well maybe i could do a little sync project where i like produce music by myself and i just give it to these people and they put it in stuff and see what happens so that's kind of what i did i like hit up this friend of mine um called john because we had done a couple sessions together and i really liked his voice um and he had a project called saint Clair at the time um which was like a pop project and he'd been doing really well on it and like he had featured on a macklemore song and like was doing really well um and i loved his voice and i was like hey man like i think i'm gonna like do some sync stuff like i you know i told him the story about the barlow lane thing and i was like i met this really cool sync company and they seem really nice and i was like would you be into like singing on it and i was he was like yeah sure so we got together and started making some music kind of with the the intention in mind of doing it for sync like making very like cinematic like theatrical like you know movie trailer music as you might call it um but we would like a lot of that stuff tends to be especially when it's like movie trailers like maybe instrumental or like the structure is very different and we kind of like came at it from like a pop perspective of like, if we structure these songs like pop, yeah. but made them sound like trailer songs, like that would be kind of a cool project. Like, wow, that would be kind of cool. So we started doing it for fun and we did a few songs and we just really liked the way they sounded. And I ended up getting back in touch with the sync team that had been working on Barlow and showed it to them. And they were like, yo, this is really, really sick. Let's have a meeting. And they liked it. We ended up working together and, Fast forward a bit, we've been doing that for a little while now, and it kind of ended up, it was actually, to be honest, it was kind of them that really told us. We had our first meeting with them, and they were like, what's the plan? And we were like, well, we, you know, I told them the plan I just told you, like, we just wanted to, like, do some songs that you guys can sync, and we can just make money off, and while we do our other things, and they were kind of like, yo, this is more than that, like, you need to do this like an actual project, because not only does it make our job easier if you're a real band, you know, if there's a story there and makes it a lot easier for us to get placements for you, like this, is, this sounds like a real project. And we had been kind of discussing that idea and then we really opened up to it and just started working on it a bunch more and kind of decided we were going to do that. And like, 
we we haven't put anything out and we still haven't um because we like wanted to take some time to like do a bunch of music really figure it out and find the sound of the branding and like what it's going to be and where it's going to fit in the world and all that kind of stuff and so yeah i think you know we've kind of decided like once life gets a little bit more normal we're going to just start rolling out this new band as it were and it's just like me and one other guy cool um, yeah it's a really fun one it's like very different i think yeah. i'm pretty proud of it watch this space oh nice man well we look forward to hearing about hearing more about that i think that probably feels like a good time to maybe wrap this up because like, we really appreciate you you know taking the time to speak to us so that, like course. uh late on your friday morning i thought you had a sandwich based question chris Oh, please. Those are my favorite kind of questions. Yeah, that was the last question I was going to ask you just because I saw on your Twitter, like, I think your handle was just like uh, LA and sandwiches. So I just wondered what, what your favorite sandwich in LA and in the UK are. Oh, damn. Well, I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm a big sandwich guy. I pretty much make myself like a ham and cheese sandwich like every day for lunch with salt vinegar crisps, obviously. <laughs> um, but in terms of like yeah. out here, there's this place called Larchmont Wine and Cheese, which is like a kind of wine store but they have like a fresh like deli sandwich counter and they make the most incredible sandwiches um and i'm like obsessed with them so i think that would be my favorite sandwich <laughs> okay there nice. you go yeah like uh, Amer- americans do do sandwiches like delis they, they take it seriously and they, yeah. they do their yeah, sandwiches like well, some so. shit. and there's lots yeah. of choice of that for in la fresh stuff and yeah it's like <laughs> it's like almost like a healthy deli sandwich it's like sick Nice. Well, maybe we should leave it on that very uh, poignant note. For sure. Yeah. Nice one. Well, um, I guess enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh, good luck with with all your problem child stuff. Sounds good, man. Nice one. Cheers, Phil. Have a good one. Take it easy. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or anywhere like that. Um, Also, check us out on social media. If you you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, give us a like or a follow on any of those. And also, we love hearing from listeners as well. So um, feel free anytime to drop us an email at thewastingtimepodcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well. But um, yeah, we'll catch you next time.